listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Dating, getting married, and staying married are some of the most difficult seasons in life. But is that because we've gotten it all wrong? This message is from part two of our series, Keep Calm and Stay Married, where we are learning how to unshackle the old ball and chain so we can keep calm and stay married. And now here is our lead pastor, Travis Davenport. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good? You look good. You look good today. Well, hey, we're in week two of our series here at Covenant Church, Keep Calm and Stay Married. Now, we just read a scripture that had an awful lot to do with the setting up of an altar and burning some different things, and, and really, uh, it revolves around this word, sacrifice. Let me hear you say the word sacrifice. sacrifice. Now, when I say the word sacrifice, I, I kind of wonder what goes through through your mind. You know, for some of you, you, you may think of brave men and women around our country who, who fly to different parts of the world and, and give up um, a lot in service to our country. Maybe that's what comes to mind when, when you hear the word sacrifice. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, it's getting up really early and, and hitting the gym and hitting the weights. Maybe that's what comes to your mind when, when I use the word sacrifice. But in the context of our scripture today, when we take a hermeneutical approach to interpreting the mindset of the Israelites in their point in time and in, and in Scripture, um, really there is nothing left to interpretation. Because to a Jew, when you use the word sacrifice, you're really only talking about one thing. To a Jew, when you talk about sacrifice, you're saying uh, it's an offering of an animal on an altar whose blood would cover their sins, justify them, and pardon them in the eyes of God. That's what sacrifice was to a Jew in this portion of Scripture. Now, there were different types of sacrifices for different types of, uh, of sins. But one thing, or a couple things rather, were always constant. There must always be an altar, there must always be a fire, and there must always be blood. And I, I think I can speak with no equivocation, and I think you would agree with me that I'm so glad that we don't have to pay for our sins this way any longer. I mean, are you, are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that you can show up, yeah, on a Sunday morning and, uh, and you can worship God freely and you don't have to bring your pets with you to have, you know, have them be killed? You know what I mean? That's a good thing. Like, that's a really good thing. Unless you have cats, sacrifice away. Sacrifice. I'm just going to say it like that. Hey, all dogs go to heaven. I don't know what that means for cats. All right. Um, yeah, because we don't sacrifice this way anymore because we believe the Scripture teaches the New Testament, the New Covenant. Our Messiah, Jesus Christ, shows up on the scene. He lives for us. And then what? He offers Himself as a perfect sacrifice, a sin offering on the altar of the cross. One sacrifice for all time. His blood covering all the world, ready and available to save any and all who would put their trust in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. Me and the one guy who clapped, we are thankful for Jesus Christ and that we don't have to sacrifice uh, animals for our sins any longer. But see, at this point in time, at this point in history, the Messiah had not yet come. They were, they were looking ahead for the Messiah. They were waiting for him. They were watching for him. Jesus had not yet come. And so constantly, Scripture says, constantly and consistently sacrifices had to be made. Animals had to be slaughtered. 
constantly the blood had to, to flow for the covering and remission of sin. And it's interesting when you look at Leviticus, our passage today, Leviticus chapter 6, it's interesting that three times in the course of the command for a sacrifice, God tells his people something very specific. Did you, did you notice that? He says something very specific three times. Look at this in verse 9. Uh, he says, the fire is to be kept burning continually, and it shall not go out. He says it again in verse 12, same thing. And then once more, he uses that phrase in verse 13. Fire is to be kept burning continually, and it should not go out. Now, why does God command this? Why is it so important for the fire to be constantly burning? And God is so um, specific, I guess you could say, in making this command. I'll tell you why. God loved his people, the Israelites. And he wanted his people at any given time, at any point in time, he wanted them ready, and don't miss this, he wanted them ready to be able to make a sacrifice for their sin. See, sin and God cannot exist in the same space, correct? Yes? And so if there's sin in the camp that has not been paid for yet, remember Jesus Christ has not come, the Messiah had not shown up, so they literally are using these animals to cover their sins, their blood, right? If the altar is cold and no animals are being sacrificed for the sin, then the sin remains and God is saying listen guys I need the fires to be hot I need you to be ready at any point in time to make a sacrifice because if the altar grows cold what you're telling me is that you don't care about my presence you don't care about my hand of blessing because my presence cannot be in the same place sin exists and my hand of blessing will not be on a people who are not ready who are not ready to make me a priority Here's a question. I swear I want to jump in for us today. I want to ask you a question when it pertains to your marriage. Because this is a marriage series. We talked to single people last week. Uh, but today we're talking to the old married people. Here's the question I want to ask you. Have your priorities become more important than God's presence? When it comes to your marriage, have your priorities become more important than God's presence? What I would submit to you today is that Our marriages are to be an altar to God. And if you're going to take notes this morning, would you you write that down? Our marriages are to be an altar to God. And it's an altar on which the fires must be burning constantly and consistently. It's an altar where sacrifices must be continually being made to bring glory to God. Are you with me? and to aid us and your spouse and yourself in the process of sanctification. In other words, you could say it like this. Marriage should make you and your spouse become more and more like Jesus. Does that sound like your marriage? Nope. (laughs) Right? Because a lot of you all become more and more like the devil. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. That's how marriage works for for a lot of people, right? We're supposed to be more and more like Jesus, but we kind of go the other way uh, a lot of times. And and I think, it's to say, I think it's safe to say it's that way because the altars have grown cold in our marriage. The altars have grown cold. The fires have gone out in our marriages today. Inside the church, outside the church, wherever, the altars have grown cold. Where once you, you, you couldn't stand to be apart from them, now you can't stand to be near them. Where, where once his, his touch felt like electric, now his touch hurts. Where once her voice sounded like a a song, and now her voice just sounds like nails on a chalkboard. You know what I mean? 
The altars on the altars in our marriage have grown cold. The fire has gone out. How do we get to this place? How do we end up like this? How how did so many of our marriages end up like this? Now, what's interesting about this passage in Leviticus is that it doesn't just give us a command to keep the fires burning, but it also gives us instructions on how to keep the fires burning. Look at this in verse 12. Here's the first instruction on how to keep the fire burning. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning. I'm sorry, shall be kept burning on it. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. We got that. Here's the first instruction. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Say every morning. morning. Turn to your neighbor and just look at him and be like, every morning. morning. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Now, I grew up in a home, uh, for a number of years we lived in Maine. And Maine is, you know how like it was this morning where there's snow? It's like that 365 days a year. It's just... It's just snow. You just skate to work. Like, literally, you strap on skates like the Olympics every day. Like you and Brian Boitano. I mean, you're just going to work. All right. I don't know where that came from. And um, Scott Hamilton, I don't know. There's too much Olympics happening in my house. Can I just say that right now? Like, it's DVR'd. It's, like, on my computer. It's just everywhere. Okay, good. And it's all figure skating. I don't know what's going on. <sighs> anyway, um, in my home, I grew up uh, for a portion of time in Maine, and we had a large fireplace. And it was my job, my, my chore as a boy, as a kid, to, to keep uh, logs in the fireplace, to keep the fire burning. That was, that was kind of my job. If the fire went out, I was in trouble. I was going to catch a beating if the fire went out. And to be honest with you, I, you know, I kind of owned it a little bit, right? Because it, it took a little bit of a technique. It took a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a little pizzazz. Can I say that? No, I can't. I can't talk about figure skating and use the word pizzazz in the same uh, section. That's too much. Um, it, it definitely took a little bit of finesse um, because you couldn't just haphazardly throw logs at a fireplace. You couldn't. Number one, they probably wouldn't go to where they needed to go, their final destination. It had to be calculated. It had to be situated just right. You had to position the, the logs correctly if you wanted maximum heat output. So... That was my job, and I almost burned down our house one time. But that's a different story <laughs> for a different time. My dad's job. <clears throat> now, my dad's job was the difficult one. I mean, honestly. Uh, my dad was the one who collected the wood. My dad was the one with his axe who split the wood. My dad was the one who was stacking the wood. My dad was the one who made it readily available to me. So that was easy for me just to pick up a log and put it on the fire. His job was hard. Mine was simple. His job was intensive, really intense, uh, labor-intensive. Mine wasn't. My job was more one of just obedience. Here's the point. I say all that to say this. To keep the altar fire in your marriage burning hot, it's first an issue of obedience. And simply put, when it comes to obedience, Scripture tells us daily, you've got to put a log on it. Daily. It's an act of obedience, and the act of obedience is this. You have to put a log on it. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, has already done the difficult job of everything else. Do you hear me? All He's calling you to do is just put a log on it. He's done the difficult job of everything else. Let me explain or ask you a question. Are you the one who left heaven and put on flesh and blood? No. That was Jesus. Were you the one who lived a sinless life? No, that was, that was Jesus. 
We the one who was beaten, mocked, tortured, crucified as a sacrifice for all the world's sin? No. That was Jesus, and that was difficult. Were you the one who went to hell and kicked Satan in the teeth and rose again three days later to claim victory over sin and death? Come on, church. Was that you? No. That was Jesus. Are you the one who stands as a mediator between God and man and makes, makes uh, prayer and talking with God attainable? No. That was Jesus. See, Jesus, this is what I'm trying to say. Jesus has already done all the chopping. Jesus has already done all the splitting. Jesus has already done all the stacking. All you have to do is put a log on it. All you have to do is follow through and put a log on the fire. And every time you're with your wife or your husband, and every time you pray together, you're putting a log on the fire. Every time you pray for each other, you're throwing a log on the fire. Every time you encourage one another, you're throwing a log on the fire. Every time you read scripture, every time you show up to a sea life or, or you lead a sea life together, every time you come to church, Every time you forgive one another, what you're doing is putting another log on the fire to keep the sacrifice, to keep the altar fire burning strong. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you, offers salvation to you, makes talking to God attainable. And you can't even encourage your husband? And you can't even pray with your wife? And you say that's hard? No, my friend, that is the easy stuff. That is easy. No, no, you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not a people person. Jesus Christ left heaven. This isn't a guilt trip. It's just reality, okay? Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, leaves heaven, shows up on this little speck called earth, and dies for you. Now, I find it hard to believe that someday you will have much footing in saying, well, Jesus, I was going to pray with my wife, but it was just so difficult. You don't understand, right? Right? Jesus has done all the difficult work. All you are called to do is put a log on it. You can't pray with your husband. You can't talk about Jesus in your home, and you wonder why the fire is out. Don't tune me out. Listen to me. You wonder why the fire is out in your home? You wonder why you're on the brink of divorce? You wonder why you can't stand each other? It's because, man, the fire has gone out. You're like, I know the fire's gone out. Yeah, it's grown cold. You stop putting logs on the fire. And now, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe it's not. Maybe you might say, well, you know, I do those things. Just, I, I do most of those things. You know, I pray with my spouse. I, I, I pray for my spouse. You know, we, we try to pray together every once in a while. We, we do. We, we talk about Scripture. We talk about the Bible. We show up to church. We're in a sea life group. We go sometimes, you know, whatever it is. But, but i got to be honest with you. Even, even when I try to do those things... My marriage is, is just not what it needs to be. I'm just not fulfilled. We're just two different people. And I've just got this stuff that I don't know. We're just, it's just it's not easy. Well, let's examine our passage a bit more for the second instruction. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Now don't miss this. This is good. You ready? Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. That was kind of weak. Look to your other neighbor and say, get ready. ready. Alright, this is good. This is good. I'm telling you, this is good. The first instruction is to put a log on it. Let me hear you say, put a log on it. it. Alright, good. 
The second instruction, clear the ashes. I didn't even ask you to say that. That's great. Thank you very much. You just start repeating back everything. That's fantastic. Put a log on it, and the second instruction is to clear the ashes. Now, here's why. It was important for the priest to put wood on the fire at all times, obviously, but notice it was equally important to clear out, clean out and clear out the ashes. Why? Well, what do these ashes represent? These ashes represented what remained of what was burned, and they were a, a threat to the fire. If the ashes piled up, it could cause the fire to go out, choking out the flames. Now, let me explain. This is very applicable to our marriages today. In our everyday life, we have to rid of ourselves of the ashes that affect the fire. We know what the fire does. It's, we sacrifice things on the fire. The fire is, is where we, 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 we sacrifice unnecessary stuff out of our lives, and it turns to ash, you know, stuff that we sacrifice, like pride. We try to lay that down on the altar of our marriage. You know, we, we sacrifice pride, we sacrifice ego, we sacrifice things like lust and, and negativity, idolatry, addictions. But I would say that in many of our marriages, many of your marriages today, we've burned the sin but left the ashes. We've burned the sin but we've left the ashes. In other words, you left a possibility open to indulge in sin once again. Let me break it down. Maybe you forgave your wife for what she said to you, but you've held on to the emotion of how, you made it feel, how she made you feel. You've still got the ashes. You hear me? Maybe you forgave your wife for what she did, but you still let the memory of what she did affect your attitude. You've still got the ashes. And it's not just your spouse's ashes. That, that can choke out the fire. It's your own ashes that can snuff out the fire as well. The fire is tra trying, to, trying to burn up your addiction. Fill in the blank with whatever that is. But the fire is trying to burn up your addiction, but you're still holding on to the taste. The fire is trying to burn up your lust, but you're still holding on to those images in your mind. The fire is trying to burn up your eating disorder but you still continue to hold on to your negative self-image. And in the background, you can hear God saying, clear out the ashes. Clear them out. Clear out the ashes. Do not give any opportunity to have sin get a resurgence in your life. And, and somehow we think that if we just pray and, and give something over to God, that our job is done. No. It is not just done. Yes, God is the fire that, 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 that burns up those things, but then we are responsible, as indicated by the text here today, to clear out the ashes. Clear them out. Clear them out. You wonder why. Your marriage isn't, isn't white hot. <laughs> the fire has gone out. You say, I, I pray and I, and, I, and I give over my sins. And my wife, she prays and she goes, when's the last time you cleared out the ashes in your life? And I would say this is, why, this is why it's so key to have accountability when it comes to marriage. And I, I, can I just be honest, like really honest with you for a second? Is that okay? Okay. Um, I find it, I don't know what the word is, uh, sad, uh, embarrassing, um, I don't know. What, not manly? I don't know. I don't know what the word is. I don't know how to use it, but whatever, any of those words, put them together. When I hear a man tell me that he's accountable to his wife about their marriage, right? 
And, and I go and I talk to men. I, I ask men all the time, like, hey, man, who are you accountable to? Oh, my wife. Uh, for like what? Like what? Like keeping the yard clean and like paying the electric? That's cool. That's, that's great. No, just for everything. Oh, that's a really bad idea. You're accountable to your wife for your spiritual health and leadership of your home. Good job. That's, that's, no, that's a horrible idea. You are to be accountable to somebody outside of your marriage. Okay? Somebody outside of your alpha. I'm, I'm speaking to men now. I'll speak to women in a minute. Speaking to men now, you are to be accountable to another man outside of your marriage. And here's why. They have an outside perspective on your marriage. They can look in and say, man, you need to clear out those ashes. What do you mean? Well, I know you told me that you forgave your wife for what she did, but you're treating her like junk. That's the residual. You're giving sin an opportunity to have a resurgence in your life. You need to clear out those ashes. Oh, that's right. I guess, you, I guess you're right. And they push you. You know, even myself, I'm a pastor, and this might shock you. This, I, I really probably, this probably will shock you. Sometimes I sin. I know that's, it is, I know, I know, <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. It is true, though. Um, it happens sometimes. And, and, and so me as a pastor, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I've got one wife in Ohio. I mean, I got one wife, period. I'm just saying she's in Ohio. You know what I'm saying? Different area codes. And, um, and, uh, and I'm also a dad. I've, I've got 19 children. And uh, no, I've got five kids. And, and um, it's true. That wasn't the joke part. And, um, and so I'm accountable. I need to be accountable to other men. And, and so I've surrounded myself with other men that I consider spiritual giants in my life. And, I, and I'll tell you this. It's... It's, it's not all humdiggity when we get together. It's not always fun. It's very to the point. Travis, how are you treating your wife? Travis, how are you making your wife into a person who emulates Jesus Christ this week? Travis, how are your finances? Travis, how much time have you spent with your kids? See, it's important that I'm around those people. It's important that I give those people access to my life and that I'm honest to them. Because you, you see me as your pastor, as a good-looking pastor, but you see me as your pastor. You know what they see me as? You know what they see me as? A sinner. They know the inside. They know what's going on. They know my struggles. They know my weaknesses. And they can say, how's that going? How's that going? Hey, I know you're a pastor. Let's push that off to the side. How are you treating your wife this week? You see what I'm saying? It's important. It is key. You must, in your marriage, be accountable to people outside of your marriage. And for you ladies, it's the same thing. Now, I would be careful, though. Don't just choose anybody. Oh, we met last week. She's so, she's so, no, she's probably a gossip. Don't tell her about your husband, all right? <laughs> this isn't like gossip 101, like, oh, yeah, well, my husband does. It's not about him. This is about you. And with your husband, it's about him with the other men that he talks with, okay? It's not gossiping. It's accountability. And it's supposed to strengthen your marriage and it's something that helps you to clear out the ashes. So say this after me. Put a log on it. Log. Clear out the ashes. Yeah. Now, keeping the fires burning on the altar of our marriage constantly is, is key. Um, but there are also different types of altars mentioned in Scripture as well. And I want to elaborate. Look at this. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Because while most um, altars were used for sacrifice, there were other types of altars. And they had different types of meanings. I want to highlight one that I think is going to be uh, really helpful to you. 
verse 3. Then Samuel, we got a little bit of scripture here, so hang with me. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths. By the way, pause. And Ashtaroth is, uh, was a graven image to the goddess of fertility. Okay? Uh, anyway. So put them away from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord. And serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away their Baal and their Ashtoreths, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Verse 7, is where it gets good. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, of course, as always, they were afraid of the Philistines. Verse 8, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him, now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder. I love that. Upon the Philistines that day. And so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them, drove them back as far as below beth Then Samuel, and here's the whole point right here. Here's the whole point for us this morning in our context. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, and read this with me, Thus far, you sound pretty happy about that. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Now think about the context in which this is happening. They have just escaped, or actually not just escaped, they've defeated the Philistines. And they were in fear. But now think of the rejoicing that is happening because of this victory that God has given. He sets up this altar. He names the altar, this stone, Ebenezer, and he says, Thus far has the Lord helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. Israel was in a place where they had run from God. They set up all these false idols and false gods. They go to Samuel for help, and God saves the day. And then Samuel sets up this altar and names it Ebenezer. See, here's the point. Altars were not just a place for sacrifice. Oftentimes altars, here we go. Oftentimes altars were a landmark to the faithfulness of God. A physical structure to remind people of the faithfulness of God at a specific point in time. An altar to help them remember the victory that God had given them. Because here is the truth. And if you're with me, then, man, you'll understand. Here's the truth. Life is hard. Marriage is harder. <laughs> can, I get an, I mean, can I get an amen? amen? Life is hard. Marriage is harder. And sometimes, let's just be honest, it doesn't matter how many logs you throw in that fire. Sometimes it doesn't matter how many times you clear out the ashes. The fact remains that sometimes in your marriage, you are going to hit difficult times. It's just the facts. Call it the wilderness. Call it a trial. Call it life. Whatever you want to call it. Fact remains, sometimes in your marriage, you're going to look at your spouse and you're going to say, can we get through this? Are we, are we strong enough to make it through this? Are we going to get out the other side? 
You think God is going to give us victory here in our marriage? Man, we have a short attention span when it comes to remembering God's faithfulness, don't we? Oftentimes, we, we can only see the problem that's right in front of us. Money, kids, job security, emotions, kids, illnesses, kids, whatever it is. <laughs> and what I'm saying is that when you can't find the solution, when you can't find the solution to the problem that's right in front of you, I would say the solution is to look behind you and remember the victories that God has previously given to you. Because oftentimes to move ahead, you have to look back. Oftentimes to move ahead, you have to look back. What I'm saying is that as a man and a wife, you need to write down the times that you face obstacles that you did not have an answer for. Obstacles that you did not know what you were going to do. And then I need you to celebrate the moments where God showed up and gave you victory. These are your Ebenezer's church. These are your altars of remembrance. Structures that empower us to say, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Because I'll tell you this, when we remember the faithfulness of God in our past, we can have courage in His faithfulness for the moment and count on His faithfulness in the future. Because God's past faithfulness is always an indicator of His future provision. God's past faithfulness is always the greatest indicator of His future provision. And let me ask you this. I got a minute. Let me ask you this. Has God not always been faithful towards you? Church, has God not always been faithful towards you? Now, I know you might have been through some stuff, but didn't God see you through it? I know you might have walked through some valleys. I know you, you might have been stuck in the wilderness for a few years. But wasn't God always there? Didn't God always take care of you? God always pulls you out. We serve a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 2.13. Now we're going. Now we're going. Now we're going. This is good. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. It really doesn't matter about you. I mean, I'm just going to say that. It really doesn't matter about you. It really doesn't matter about your level of faith. God remains faithful. It really doesn't matter about you throwing logs on the fire. and God remains faithful. That's important, but I'm just saying it doesn't supersede the faithfulness of God. See, without God's faithfulness, we would not be able to have faith at all. God's faithfulness is the very foundation, the very bedrock of our faith, the very foundation, the very bedrock of our marriages. Now, I have a phrase that I want you to start preaching over yourself, over your spouse, over your children, and over your home. You ready? You ready with your pens? Here's the phrase that I want you to begin preaching over yourself and over your family, over your wife, over your husband. God has been faithful. God will be faithful because God is faithful. Simple. God will be faithful. God has been faithful, rather. God will be faithful because God is faithful. Would you say that with me? God has been faithful. God will be faithful because God is faithful. I don't, you're, not, you're not really getting it. This is, this, is, this is something that is of great power. To be able to look at your problems and your issues and your enemy, to be able to look at everything in your life, and say, I don't have to worry about that. I serve, a God, uh, I serve a faithful God. God has been faithful. God will be faithful because God is faithful. So when you lose your job, 
Or when you have a, a, a stream of income that disappears unexpectedly and you start freaking out, you start, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to? No, God has been faithful. God will be faithful. God is faithful. When you have children and, and maybe some of them unexpectedly and you look and you say, well, we had them, but now we have to feed them. And now we have to put clothes on them. And I know one of them's going to want to play football or some type of sport. That's going to cost me money, pay to play. And then I'm also going to have to help send one of them to college. And I got a girl. I got to help pay for a wedding. And you start freaking out. How is that going to? God has been faithful. God will be faithful because why? You're almost there. You're almost there. You're, you're, so, you're so close when you go through a rough patch in your marriage. And you wonder if you're going to make it out the other side. You wonder, is God going to see me through? Hmm. You look and you can say to your spouse, God has been faithful. God will be faithful because God is faithful. And, and, and that preaches good and it's truth. But the fact remains, I say that, but some of you don't believe it. They try try. I want to believe that. How can I? I've had my heart broken before. Like, how do I know that's truth? Well, let's look at the rest of this verse in 2 Timothy. This is good. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And here's the catch. Here, here's it. Here it is. For he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. See, it's not just that God is faithful. It's that God is faithful you see the difference it's not just that God is faithful it's that God is faith he is faithful he is faithfulness just like God is love God is faithful when you look up the the definition for the word faithful in the dictionary it should just say God God oh yeah I understand yeah okay I understand like God God is faithful it's who he is but if you never set up altars to remember God's previous faithfulness in your marriage, moments of victory, moments of, moments of triumph, then you're going to fall into the trap of, of wondering whether or not God is ever going to be faithful to you in the present and see you through in your moment of struggle. We have to. We have to be able to look back at those moments where we say, God has given me the victory. And so therefore, I have courage to move on in the future. So, recap, in conclusion, if you really want to keep calm and stay married, daily, throw a log on the fire, daily, clear out the ashes, and remember that God has been faithful, God will be faithful, because God is faithful. Thank you for listening to this message from part two of our series, Keep Calm and Stay Married at Covenant Church. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. If you need prayer or just want to tell us your story, please reach out to us at mystory@covenantchurch.us and connect with us on social media at facebook.com slash to seek and save and twitter.com slash to seek and save.